Good morning. So good to see you. We're glad to have you with us here this morning. Want to welcome everybody, too, that's joining us online. Uh, want to remind you, too, that we have communion placed about the sanctuary. Believers who want to follow the command of the Lord to remember him and the price that he paid for you, that's available for you, too. Also, if you'd like to be a part of supporting the ministry, we have agape boxes here in the sanctuary and one out in the foyer, too, and you can always donate online. Right now, though, I'd like to read a psalm to you. Would you mind standing with me? And we're going to read Psalm 100 this morning. And he says, Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us, not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. And be thankful unto him and bless his name. For the Lord is good and his mercy is everlasting and his truth endures to all generations. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you, Lord, that we have the awesome privilege to gather together to worship you. That we have an entrance. We can enter your gates with thanksgiving and your courts with praise. That we can come boldly before your throne of grace to find help in time of need. Father, we ask that as we worship this morning, you would prepare our hearts to receive all that you want to give us from your word by your Holy Spirit. We ask that you would move among us, Lord, and glorify yourself in all that's said and done here today. We want to give you this time now in your most holy and precious name, Jesus. And all of God's people who agreed said, amen. amen. Take a minute, turn around, meet somebody, and then let's enter his gates with thanksgiving.
The gospel of Jesus Christ How could I ever walk away From the one who saved my life And though I'll never be ashamed
Father, we hear your voice this morning, Lord, as we have this time with you, God. We know that you are in the midst of us, God. We thank you that you love us and that you pursue us and that you have a word for us today, God. We thank you, Lord, that you have received our worship and that you will continue to do so, Lord. And I pray for anyone here this morning who is struggling with trusting in you, Father God who's struggling with putting their hope in you, God. So often we try and grab it with our own hands, Lord, grab this world, grab our, our lives and try and control it, Lord. I pray this morning that we would release to you the desires of our heart, our fears, our worries, our wants, our desires. We pray that you would humble us this morning to open our hearts to you in a response and let you have your way with us, we pray. In your name, amen. Blessed assurance Jesus is mine He's been my fourth man in the Time after time And born of His Spirit And washed in His blood In what He did for me on Calvary Is more than enough Cause I trust in God my Savior, the one who will never fail. He will never fail. And I trust in God, my Savior. I trust in This is my 
Amen. Well, let's take this time and welcome the one and only Mr. Doyle Dykes. Thank you, folks. Thank you, Robert. Great to be here today. What a wonderful set. What a wonderful praise and worship time today. Amen. And I do want to say happy President's Day weekend to you folks. And uh, I just flew in Friday night from Daytona. I thought, well, that'll be a real chill airport. It's like John Wayne was 30 years ago. Only thing I didn't figure it was race week. <laughs> so, anyway, it's really great to be in California. I love these songs. spacious skies for amber waves of grain for purple mountains majesty above thy fruited place America sing with me America God shed his grace on thee, sing loud, and crown thy good with brotherhood from sea to shining sea. Of the coming of the Lord, the vintage where the Grapes of wrath are stored. 
He has loosed the faithful lightning of his terrible swift sword. His truth is marching on. You believe that part? <clears throat> Sing it again. His truth is marching on. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Sing loud. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Glory, glory, hallelujah. His truth is marching on. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Glory, glory, hallelujah. His truth is marching. Tennessee star. Thank you. Been playing most of those songs since I was a teenager. They mean more to me now than any other time in my life, really. But we don't depend on our government, we depend on Him. You know, the Bible says of the increase, talking about wonderful counselor, the everlasting God, you know, Prince of Peace. Think about Jesus said the increase of his government and his peace, there shall be no end. You don't hear government and peace together very much, do you? The increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. And that applies to President's Day weekend 2024, amen? 
And so we, we depend on him. Someone said an awful statement the other day. Well, if we get so-and-so as president and we're going to leave the country, well, good luck finding peace anywhere else unless you find it in him. Amen. And I, I'd rather him govern me and I'd rather him that he is my savior and my Lord. And he says, I'm going to heaven, sitting at the right hand of the Father, but I'm going to send another comforter and he shall come in my name and he shall be with you. If you love me, he'll be with you and he shall be in you. And he taught us this, how to pray.
Thank you, Doyle. Isn't that amazing? He has such an incredible gift from the Lord. And he makes it look easy, too. We get all the best people here, don't we? Praise God. Let's take a minute and enjoy the announcements. I think you're going to really like them this morning. Wasn't that great? I told you you'd like them. <laughs> Junior high and high school kids, you're released to meet your teachers out of the foyer. Parents, they'll be out there again after the end of the service. Right now, I'd like to ask Robert Canton to come up and lead us in a word of prayer. church let's pray father god thank you for this beautiful church that we you allow us to come and worship you lord i ask that you be with our pastors guide them and give them the words to teach us and open our hearts to listen to those words lord uh, just ask that you uh, continue to protect everybody all the servants lord thank you for them um, i ask that you be with all our military around the world lord and all first responders protect them and their families lord we just ask this in your beautiful name and we all say, Amen. Thanks, Robert. Thanks, Terry. If you wouldn't mind standing with me, please open your Bibles or turn it on on your iPhone, whatever you have to do. We're in Acts chapter 12, verse 1. Now, about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some of the church. 
And then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. So when he had arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads, the quatrains of soldiers, 16. For one fisherman? Really? Put him in prison, delivered him to these four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. Peter was therefore kept in prison, in prison, excuse me, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. And when Herod was about to bring him out, that night Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by Peter, and a light shone in the prison, and he struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise, quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. And then the angel said to him, Gird yourself and tie on your sandals. And so he did, and he said to him, Put on your garment and follow me. So they went out and followed him and did not know that was done by the angel was real. And he thought, Peter thought he was dreaming, seeing a vision. And when, we're, <clears throat> when they were past the first and second guard posts, they came to the iron gate and they went out and went down one street. And immediately the angel departed from him. And when Peter had come to himself, he said, now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectations of the Jewish people. So when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a girl named Rhoda, Rosie, came to answer And she recognized Peter's voice because of her gladness. She was so joyful, she didn't open the gate and ran instead back in and announced that Peter was standing at the gate. But they said, you're beside yourself, you're out of your mind. Yet she kept insisting that it was so. So they said, it must be his angel. Now Peter continued knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. But motioning to them with his hand to keep silent, he declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison and said to them, go tell these things to James and to the brethren. And he departed and went to another place. Let's stop there and pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you that you intend for us to understand your ways. So send your Holy Spirit to teach us now that we might grow in the knowledge and the wonder of you. We ask it in Jesus' name, and everybody agreed by saying, amen. You may be seated, please. Well, this is a fascinating story. This chapter is a place of debate amongst theologians. It's become a battleground, so to speak. Um, There's this issue of two of the apostles Uh, Both of them, of the inner group, the three that went with Jesus, when he went to Jairus' house to raise a little girl from the dead, it was Peter and James and John. 
And when they went to the Mount of Transfiguration, it was those three with Jesus. And so these were the guys that seemed he was putting three and a half years into it. He spent more of time with these three men. But as we read on, all of a sudden, James is killed, but Peter is set free. They both have this status of being the original 12. They're both in the inner group. And so why? It's a natural question. And I suggest to you that this chapter answers some theological questions that you've probably struggled with, even though you didn't consider them that. But we've all had situations where someone we love, mother, father, grandparents, children, spouses, suddenly is taken, gone. And we ask why? This is a serious question. It doesn't make sense. A man came up to me last night and he said, why did God take my wife instead of me? She's doing really great, loves the Lord being used, and I'm a dirtbag sinner. I said, yeah, I, I know that feeling. And so what we do with that question can lock us in a prison ourselves or can set us free to accept the love of God. You, you see, when I come to those hard places, and it happens quite often with me, I stop and look at the cross. That, that's the only way I can deal with those theological questions. No man, no person has the answer for it because God's ways are different than ours. Isaiah 55 says, God speaking, my ways are higher than your ways. In fact, my ways are so high, they're beyond you finding out. What's God saying? He's saying, we don't have enough horsepower up here. <laughs> we don't have enough brains to understand all the things on the giant chessboard of life that God is moving around when he decides to take one home. We consider it early. He considers it in his perfect timing. How do we make sense of that? And I think it's okay to say I'm not supposed to be able to make sense of it this side of heaven. His promise to us, who the Apostle Paul is, that when we see him, Jesus, we will be like him. And we will know just as we are known by him. We'll understand. So I think when I get to heaven, and I think it's the same for you, all of a sudden we'll look at Jesus and we'll go, oh, why didn't I see that before? Because you were too stupid, Ed. <laughs> I just gave you a whole new set of brains, a new body. You're going to love it. So this is a serious question that it becomes more serious when a person becomes angry at God and says, that's not fair. I'm just not going to worship you anymore. <laughs> like that's going to shut down Saturn or the sun or the earth spinning. But I understand those feelings. It's just we can't harbor them. We have to let it go. We have to give God permission to do whatever he wants with our life. Scary? Yeah. Give God your unqualified surrender. I'll follow you, Lord, wherever you lead me, as long as you help me. 
Because I'm weak. I can't do it. Now, that level of surrender, commitment, is scary. Because it requires trust. It requires relying on him and not our own understanding. It requires for us to put our faith in God and not in what our brain has been teaching us all our life. So that's why I say this is a difficult chapter. When you look at it in context, it's just a historical story that happened in the early church. But all of a sudden, when you take it apart, and you start thinking about, wait a minute, they're, they're both apostles, they're both on the inside. Jesus spent three and a half years training them. Obviously, he thought they were going to be used. And then all of a sudden, he treats one differently than another. You've seen it happen in your own life. I, I have people come and say, you know, I knew this guy that should have gone quicker. But instead, his best friend is a friend of mine. God took him. Why? When we were in Israel a few weeks ago, I, we were in the hostage uh, square of Tel Aviv, and a Jewish, actually he was a professor, it turns out, uh, of mathematics, comes up to me and, and he said, are you the pastors that are here from America? It was in the newspaper. And I said, yes, we are. Can I pray for you? He said, I, I don't believe in prayer. But answer this question. Why did God allow all these innocent people to be taken captive and many of them killed when they don't deserve it. They didn't deserve it. How can you call him a God of love? And I went, that's a good question. But let me talk to you a moment about your scriptures, the Old Testament in Hebrew. And Solomon said, God has placed eternity in our hearts. And if you look in your own heart and you search down, you'll know the same thing I know about eternity. I know it's real. This is not all there is. Something in us screams, there's much more than this. This can't be it. And that's God's initial, come on, his invitation to begin to think about eternity. And if you don't go that way and you say, I don't believe in God. How could a God like that? Don't tell me he's loving, doesn't do anything loving. It seems to me that he's a God of hatred or something. And then you lock yourself up, listen, in a prison. It's interesting to me that in this chapter, that's what happens to one of these men. Oh, it's a physical prison. But you can lock yourself in an emotional prison or a mental one or a physical one. I see that quite often. <laughs> Talking to a little old lady in the hospital, 104 years old. I said, oh my goodness, you've seen a lot. She said, yeah, yeah, lots of things. And I said, well, uh, were you married? She said, yeah, and, uh, and I have... Uh, children, I think six or seven, and then 12 or 14 grandchildren, and another 20 great-grandchildren. And I said, so uh, you seem happy. Why? 
And she says, well, it's not that I didn't lose. I lost two sons in the First World War, then another one in the second. But God was good to me. He always takes care of me. And her attitude was one of joy. That was a woman that chose to refuse to blame God for what sin has brought to this world. Excuse me, would you catch this one more time? One, two, three. Oh, that's so much better. Sorry. I kept hearing the, the little clip is coming out. So God wants us to handle tragedy, storms like that in our life. You say, God, I may not understand this side of heaven, but I'll trust you. Because when I look at the cross, I see that God so loved the world that he came and died on the cross for me, even if I was the only person on the planet. I can trust him because he already showed me his love. I don't understand the answers right now, but that's where we're going. Second big subject in here is prayer. Does prayer matter? Does it do anything? Are we just exercising our lungs? pushing out air with words attached? Or does it really matter in eternity? We're reading a Bible that says you have not because you ask not, James. Jesus said, if you ask of the Holy Spirit, how much more will be given to them that ask? Hmm, all of a sudden it sounds like prayer changes things. Well, why doesn't it happen every time I pray? God answers every prayer, but most of mine, he gives me the answer I don't want, which is the one that says, wait, <laughs> have patience, Ed. I don't do good with patience. I don't do patience. I never did it until I became a Christian. I didn't become a Christian until I was 29 years old or 26 years old. Okay, so that's where we're going. Oswald Chambers is about prayer. We tend to use prayer as a last resort. But God wants us to use it as our first line of defense. We pray when there's nothing else we can do. But God wants us to pray before we do anything else. So there's three parts of this section. Prayer offered the first five verses. And then prayer answered, six through 11, and the last part. Answers are doubted that they really happen. Verse one. Now, about that time... This is the first century. It's around 40, 41, 42, uh, after Jesus died, A.D. And about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to arrest some from the church. The New Testament's a little confusing when you read about all the Herods. It's called the Herodian dynasty. There's like four or five of them in the New Testament. This is the grandson of Herod the Great, being the modest guy that he was, Herod called himself great. And um, he was a great builder, but that's about the only thing you could say that was great about him. He killed all his wives, 10 of them, nice guy. And uh, he didn't want to mess with divorce. It's a lot faster if you just use the sword. And he killed most of his children. So this Herod, this grandson, was raised in Rome. 
Uh, his mother knew he didn't have a chance of living if he stuck around Jerusalem, so she put him there, and he came to know two young men in the school he was going to who actually became Caesars later on. So this is Herod Agrippa, they call him in history, and he reigned from 37 to about 44, a short time, and uh, so now we know exactly what time, or within a few years of what time of... Um, this event is taking place. Now this Herod Agrippa is a politician's politician. A smooth talker, um, stealing the country blind. Things haven't changed. And uh, Josephus says he made daily sacrifices in the temple, real lavish ones that would put out a lot of smoke so people would think he was very holy. Scary how many people who want to appear religious who are just the opposite. He's one of those. Then he, Herod Agrippa I, killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. And here's where the problems start. So James, this is the brother of John, the sons of thunder, Jesus called them. You remember that it's kind of a funny story. Uh, when they went to Samaria, Jesus sent these two guys into the city to find lodging. They came back out. Samaritans didn't like Jews, didn't want anything to do with them. And they come out and they say, they won't let us have a place, Master. What do you want us to do? Shall we call down fire from heaven and kill them all? These are the first Christians. <laughs> Jesus said, your theology is not quite right. <laughs> This is uh, not what we're here for. And uh, so they are uh, outgoing guys, thunder. They came with their mother to Jesus one time. And she said, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, when you become king of the whole earth, would you let my sons, one sit on the right hand and the other sit on the left hand? Uh, nothing much, just rule the world with you. Um, and so the mom was uh, a thunderer too. So the, the death of James hit the church hard, and uh, they were struggling with the same question that, that we might ask. It's a dilemma. Why does God save one and allows the other to die? With a few short verses, James the apostle dies, but Peter the apostle is miraculously released from jail. God went to a lot of trouble to send an angel down to let him out. So both were part of the original 12. Jesus had invested three and a half years in both of them. It's hard to understand. Why would God allow such a loss? Isaiah 55, my ways are higher than your ways. In fact, my ways are so high, God speaking, they're beyond you finding out this side of heaven. Oh, we will understand, but don't expect it in this life. Now, that's very frustrating to me personally. I want to know stuff. <laughs> you know, if you just study and you can figure this out, I'm sure. No, it's a chessboard that's so complicated. Your life and the other seven billion people on the planet that only God can hold all those things in tension, seven billion people at one time, and have you run into just the right person at the right time this week. It's astounding. 
Now watch it happen this week with my wife. Some of you know she's fighting cancer, and we were in a restaurant in town this week, Martha Green's, you know, downtown. And we went in, and the place was crowded, so we just sat down in this little side place, and uh, another couple comes in and sits right across from us. And uh, they both have T-shirts on, and uh, they have the F-bomb written across them, you know. And it had to do with cancer. And uh, so Raylan looked at me, and I, and, and, uh, but the guy's got a little tag on from Revelins Community Hospital. And so my wife, being the shy person she is, says, hey, I was in that same room that, earlier today. He said, what? He said, oh, I, I'm a cancer patient. And uh, are you going through cancer? And, and he said, no, my wife is. And she breaks down into tears. And so my wife leans over and starts talking to her and ends up praying with her in the middle of a public restaurant. Ray Lynn, please. (laughs) Three hours later, (laughs) three hours later, um, we left, changed telephone numbers. And when I came down last night from church, I walked past her bedroom and she's on the phone with this gal with the F-bomb t-shirt praying to Jesus to forgive her sins and take her life. Now, no, 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 no. No, I'm, I'm just using that as an example of what do you do when the storms of life overwhelm you? Do you say, God, and you start shaking your finger at heaven? If you don't fix this, Lord, I'll never talk to you again. You know, really those threats that we've all done. (laughs) Or do you say, I see the cross, Lord. I see you love me. You love the whole world. And so I'm going to wait for you to give me the answer. doesn't make sense right now. What are we going to do? So... We often do not understand the way God is working with us in this life. And being a Christian doesn't help in the sense of whether you get the right understanding of why it's happening, but you do get the right person who's controlling it. It's God. Accept, trust, believe, rely on the love of God. Now, maybe you're sitting here like I was years ago, sitting in a church store. I don't believe a word of this. That guy doesn't know what he's talking about. He's probably never even done anything. Accept, trust, believe, cling to, rely on, or you'll be in a prison. You'll end up putting yourself in a prison either mentally, physically, or emotionally. And I talk to people every day. I already have several people today that have been fighting God for 30 years because of something that happened to them or their sister or their mother or their child 30 years ago. Let it go. You're in prison. That's where we're going. Verse 3. Because he saw, Herod saw that it pleased the Jews that James was beheaded, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now, it was during the days of unleavened bread. Now, that's a, 
a seven-day feast. The, the eighth day is Passover. And unleavened bread, this is ironic, okay? So what Jews do uh, during this feast is they take a feather and they clean out all the dust of their house before we had vacuum cleaners or those sort of things. Because within that dust, they said, was yeast. Uh, and that's leavening. That's what causes bread to rise. Uh, the little beastie yeasties uh, consume glucose, lets off carbon dioxide gas, and it puffs up. And nobody likes proud bread. That's a joke. People get prideful, not bread. But so they are, all the whole city is trying to get all the sin out of their house. That's what yeast or it, we have uh, pita bread today, okay? That's unleavened bread. It hadn't been put any yeast in it and let it grow. And so um, they're all trying to observe the Passover, which is to get sin out of your life because puffing up is a picture of sin. And instead, they're plotting to kill Peter. And uh, that's what's wrong with religion most often. Is people try and appear to be religious and they live in a contradiction with God and they don't even see it. So when he had apprehended, when Peter was caught, they put him in prison, delivered him to four quatrons, it says literally, uh, four fours, 16 soldiers to keep him. One fisherman? Intending to bring him before the people after Passover. Why are they say, so paranoid about Peter? Well, Peter, you will remember if you were here, went up onto the Temple Mount and he saw a man who couldn't walk. And he and John prayed for him and the guy stood up and walked away, started dancing, jumping and leaping God, uh, for God. And then they, Peter began to preach and a couple thousand people get saved on the Temple Mount. The Sanhedrin went crazy, arrested him, threw him in jail. And the next day they had a trial, so they sent the soldiers to go get him out of jail. He was gone. They said, where is he? Oh, he's out on the temple mount. He's preaching again. And so this time, Herod says, no, 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 no. I'm putting 16 of my best guards around him. This guy is not getting away. So Peter was therefore kept in prison. But constant prayer was being offered to God for him by the church. But prayer. Now, um, you might remember who wrote this book. It was Luke. And what did Luke do for a profession? He was a doctor. He uses medical terms throughout this, but we don't see it. But Greek medical terms, ectendos, E-X-T-E-N-O-S, it means to hyperextend your elbow or your knee or something. That's what he's saying about the prayer. They were stretching out. They were hyperextending themselves to get in contact with God. So, earnest prayer has power. Not because it in itself persuades a reluctant God to answer our prayer. No, it has power because it demonstrates that our hearts care passionately for that person and God hears those, evidently, better than he does just casual prayer. 
John 15, 7, Jesus is speaking. He said, if you abide in me, you stay connected to me, and my words, what we're studying, abide in you, you will ask whatever you will, and it shall be done unto you. Earnest prayer brings results. You stay connected to him. So it helps us to put away distractions. Prayer changes things. Now I'm going to go out on a limb with you a minute. There have been numerous scientific studies testing this concept, usually on patients who have been through bypass surgery or appendicitis, something like that. And um, they've gone on for 150 years in America trying to prove or disprove that prayer changes things. This is an article by a doctor. His name is Fincham. He's the medical director of the Family Medical Institute at Florida State University. Uh, November 17th article, he said, what can science say about the study of prayer? The scientific study of the effectiveness of prayer has been going on for at least 150 years, starting with the work of a British physician, Francis Galton, back in the 1870s. However, in the last 75 years, there have been more than 191 American scientific studies published on that subject in peer-reviewed journals. Okay, so in the world of science, if you want to prove something, you write an article that's then accepted by a journal and peer-reviewed. People who are in the same area of science that you are, they look and see if you fudged the data or you changed anything. And so 191 American uh, articles, scientific studies, the majority of which shows that patients who were prayed for did better than pa patients who were not prayed for over and over again, which of course flames out the atheists, and so they do a study to go against it. Okay, so 191 scientific studies published on the subject. Uh, about 18 months ago, in November, the Templeton Prayer Study came out. The conclusion, petitioning God for others, shows that intercessory prayer for the well-being of a loved one improves the patient's myocardial function, you know, your heart. Oxygenation, you know, they put that little thing for a PO2, your amount of oxygen on your finger, and cardiac output. The effusion of, of how well your heart pumps. That's a scientific study. And once again, Frank Fincham, F-I-N-C-H-H-A-M, uh, Director of Family Medical Institute at Florida State University. I'm spelling it for you because some of you are already checking it out on your iPhone. Or you're going to go home and prove me wrong. Just keep those cards and letters coming. You'll see. I quoted it, verse 6. And when Herod was about to bring him out that night, Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. He's surrounded by 14 soldiers outside and two inside. Now, this is a great picture of Peter. I, I love Peter. Peter had a gift for praying, but his biggest gift was for sleeping, okay? You remember that in the garden... Uh, Jesus uh, uh, wakes Peter up, and Peter flips out, and he pulls out his sword and cuts off the ear of a, you know, one of the high priest's 
servant's Mount of Transfiguration. He falls asleep and suddenly he wakes up and he sees Elijah standing with Jesus and Moses. He said, oh, it's good that we're here. Let's take three tents and we'll just live here. And a voice comes from heaven and says, Peter, (laughs) this is my beloved son. Hear him. Shut up. Quit talking and listen. Peter's sleeping. Okay. He has grace. He has He rests well. Now, behold, an angel of the Lord stood by Peter, and a light shone in the whole prison, and he struck Peter on the side. Now, that word struck is smote in the Hebrew language, uh, and we will see it later on, uh, that uh, a lot of people were smote. Uh, And uh, here, Peter, and he slaps him, and he raised him up. I don't know what that means beyond what it says. (laughs) Peter was having a hard time getting up. Rise, quickly. And this chains fell off his hands. Quickly. Why are angels in the New Testament always in a hurry to leave? They are, over and over again. Hurry now, and they run. I think I know. I think heaven is so cool. And they arrive down here and they look around and go, wow, this is a pit. Let's get this job done and get back home. Which is encouraging to us that heaven is that good. What does the scripture say? Your eye has not seen, your ear has not heard, nor has it entered into the heart of those, the things that God has prepared for those that love him. You can't imagine another one of those things. Your brain could not contain it. So angels, they're trying to get out of town really quick. Arise quickly. And then the angel said to him, gird yourself, tie on your sandals. It's like trying to get your kindergartner ready for in the morning. No, no, the other feet. You got your shoes on backwards. He said, here, here, put on your ground. Put your jacket on. It's cold outside and follow me. So they went out, followed him, and didn't know that what was done by the angel was real. He thought he was seeing a vision. He thought he was dreaming. Peter's walking around, looking at this angel walking in front of him, going, wow, this is a cool dream. And when they were past the first and second guard posts, they came to an iron gate that leads to the city. This was a a compound that had this metal gate, and it's locked. But when they got there, it opened to them of its own accord. First automatic gate opener. And, got, and they went out and went down one street, and immediately the angel departed. I'm out of here. So they're outside of where the prison was. And when Peter came to himself, I love the English language. Who else is he going to come to? He comes to himself. And he says, I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectations of the Jewish people. He sees this as an opportunity. He did not run out of town. He sees that God's once more taken me out of prison to be useful to him. Do you think that way? When you had a close call, do you say... I'm going to stay home and never go out again. Or do you say, 
Lord, I want to serve you. What would you like me to do? Here's an opportunity to minister to somebody. I don't know. I'm pretty busy. You know, the news is on tonight. Oh, that's edifying. So what is it that God wants you to do? I don't know what it is. But if you're not doing anything right now, start with something involved with the church. We have a group that goes down to Mexico. Week after next, weekend after next, they're only down there for a day and a half. I'll give you an inside tip. They stay in the beach house while they're down there. It's absolutely beautiful. But not to appeal to your flesh. There's an opportunity to minister at a batter's women's shelter. Uh, they take clothes to kids, orphanages. We have another group that goes down uh, with diapers and food for all the orphanages, 17 different orphanages in uh, Mexico that are all working with kids that are handicapped because they don't have any way from the Mexican government to get those things that are needed. So, guys, got a pickup truck, or if you don't, just go with one of the guys, drive down, load up the pickup truck up here, take it down there, you're back that same night. Go get involved, get your hands dirty. We live to, closest to one of the, the, the poorest countries and an opportunity for all of us to serve and to go take Jesus to people that don't get to hear it. Minister, minister to some kid. Verse 12. And when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary. This is kind of interesting. The mother of John, whose surname was Mark, John Mark, and many were gathered there praying. Paul tells us that she is Barnabas' sister, but more importantly, this is the mom for the guy that wrote the Gospel of Mark. John Mark was a young man, and he traveled with Barnabas and Paul and with Peter, and he wrote down all the things that Peter said. So when you read the Gospel of John Mark, you're actually reading the things that Peter saw, eyewitness account. So they go to this house, Peter knocks on the door of the gate, and a girl named Rhoda, Rosie, <laughs> uh, came to answer. And uh, now the history, early church historians tell us this is the same house, the same room, upper story, where Pentecost took place, where there were 120 gathered together praying, which is also the same room where Jesus did the Last Supper. We don't know that for sure, but uh, second century Tertullian said that's true. So they come to this house, and it's John Mark's mom's house. And she knocks, he knocks on the gate, and a servant girl or somebody comes out named uh, Rosie, and she recognizes Peter's voice, verse 14. And because of her joy, her excitement, she's kind of an excitable gal, she did not open the gate. Oh, this is wonderful. Peter's here. She turns around and runs in the house and leaves a man who had just escaped from prison by an angel standing out in the street. She ran in and announced that Peter was at the gate. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, so I learned that it, oh, it says that they were praying inside, that there was a lot of serious prayer going on. It's called... Uh, extending yourself here. And uh, I've learned, as a brand new Christian, as a matter of fact, somebody taught me that 
The word prayer should be added to the word, the acronym PUSH, P-U-S-H. First P stands for prayer. Pray until you, S, something, H, happens. And it's just burned into my brain. I hope it burns into some of yours. So every time I find myself praying and I don't get a result in the first five seconds, I remember... Am I speaking truth or what? Now, rather than never pray again, pray until something happens. So um, don't be impatient. Wait, rest, relax, chill. Don't hang up on God. Funny story. So true story. This lady is uh, uh, from the Midwest and she's in New York City. And uh, she's on the uh, 30th floor or something. And this story was written by the hotel manager. And uh, when she's leaving, she uh, realizes she's left her diamond necklace, uh, lost it somewhere. She thinks she lost it in the room. And she tells the manager, would you please check it? Uh, And they look, couldn't see anything. So she goes home. and, And then she calls from Des Moines, Iowa or something. And she said, I know it has to be there. It's not in my luggage. It must be in my room. He said, ma'am, I'll be happy to go look for it. What room were you in? She said, wow, that'll take me a few minutes. Why don't you give me your telephone number? I'll call you back. She said, oh, no, no, I'm going to wait. I'll stay on the line. You go look. He said, well, it's more than 30 stories. Take me a few minutes. She said, that's okay. And so uh, he goes up and he goes through the room, can't find anything, takes the drawer off next to the nightstand, he pulls the drawer all the way out, and sure enough, in the very back of the drawer, the, the necklace is stuck in the corner. And he takes it out. He said, wow, she's going to be happy. It's a very nice necklace. And, uh, and so he heads on back down, and uh, he puts it in the office safe for the hotel, and he goes to the phone, and he said, he picked up the phone, he said, ma'am, you're, you should be excited. I found your necklace. Nothing. Ma'am, it's, it's here. She had hung up, and she didn't give him her telephone number. So he took her name and, and did a backwards call, you know, tried to find through all the various things that are available on the Internet, and he could never get in touch with her. So if you're missing a necklace, I know where there's one... <laughs> But I think we do that to God. Don't hang up on God. That's not polite. He doesn't like to have people hang up on him. Push. Keep praying. So, um, you're beside yourself. You're out of your mind. Outside of your mind. That's where the saying comes from. Yet, she kept insisting that it was so. And so they said, well, it must be his angels. Jews still to this day have a, it's really a superstition that you have a guardian angel that looks just like you, uh, and uh, they think that the angel has taken Peter's place. It's it's all wrong, Uh, just, but that's what they're thinking. Scripture is not saying this is the way it is, it's saying, no, no, this is wrong. Now, Peter continued knocking, he kept on beating away. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Wait a minute. They've been praying for at least two days. 
that he would be released, and then he shows up, and they're astonished. Hmm. Faith is an interesting thing, isn't it? <laughs> they spent a lot of time praying, but they didn't believe it was going to happen. Aren't you glad that it isn't entirely dependent on our faith, but on his? He's faithful even when we're not. So, motioning to them with his hand, I got a hot price on my head. I'm a wanted man. He declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. He said, go, tell these things to James. Now, this is a different James, obviously, than the one who was killed in the first three verses. This is the brother of Jesus. Um, they had uh, different fathers, obviously, Father God and Mary. Um, but according to Tertullian, this is James, the brother. He wrote the book of James that we're familiar with in the New Testament, and he departed and went to another place. Okay. In a world full of broken promises and heartaches and wounded hearts that come from living out our lives in a, in a sin-filled world, we, we all experience them, disappointments, there's one thing that remains true. The one thing is that God's love never fails. He never gives up. And he never runs out on you. That's a song that we sing, right? But it's true. And that's your refuge when something difficult happens that you can't understand. And I'm sorry to report to you, there's a lot of things that I don't understand in the years that I've lived. And I'm sure most of you have come to that conclusion. But don't get caught in a prison. Let me close with this story. Most people recognize the name of Harry Houdini. You know, he was a, an escape artist. There's Harry in a jail, shackled. Now, Harry could escape from almost anything. He passed away almost 100 years ago, 1926. But uh, this story is instructive for what we've just been looking at. He said he was as flexible as the eel. He could pop his shoulders out and his knees and his elbows, and so he'd get out of straight jackets and all that kind of stuff. Um, but he also had been a locksmith, so he knew locks really, really well. Excuse me. <coughs> and so he had this one trick that he offered to the whole world. Any prison cell, anywhere in the world you put me in, I can get out in two hours. Okay, so they put it to test. Excuse me, let me get some water so you can understand me. I'm going to start to sound like I'm speaking Mongolian, which I don't speak. One, two, three, <clears throat> a little better. Okay, so Harry's uh, got this big test for any jail, anywhere, any cell in the world. I can get out in two hours. So... In 1925, only about a year before he died of an appendicitis, ignoble way to go, but uh, he was in a jail cell in upstate New York, Albany, New York. And so uh, they chain him, as you can see the pictures, and all these photographers are there. And he's, uh, he's in the jail cell, and he begins to pick the lock, because he's a retired locksmith. 
He knows every law. He's, he, he knows this one. He's got a little piece of string or spring steel, excuse me, uh, behind his belt buckle. He takes it out and he gets out of all the chains and then he starts working on the door. And he's working on it. He starts to sweat. About a half an hour, it's not budging. And he said, he, somebody heard him say, something wrong with this lock. I know this lock. After an hour, he's just covered with sweat. And he's working away and getting more frantic and frantic. And at one minute before two hours, he's covered with sweat and he drops it. And he said, this is terrible. And he leans against the jail cell door. And it opens. They had forgotten to lock it. All he would have had to do is walk through. And because he did it right before the two hours, he won. Now, some people in this room are in a jail cell of your own making. You're in a prison cell that you had something to do with putting yourself there. Got mad at God, cursed him, refused to talk to him. I'll show him. And this is your opportunity Because Jesus opened the prison doors and set the captives free. But you must surrender to him. You have to say, Lord, forgive me for being upset with you when really the problem is here. I don't have enough horsepower up here to understand all the things that you do. And so I don't know why that happened. But I look at the cross and I say... God's love on that cross for my sins. I'll trust you until I can understand why this person is gone or why this thing happened to me. It requires surrender. It requires giving God permission in your life to do whatever he wants to do. You see, he's a gentleman. He won't take over your life unless you hand it to him. But this is your opportunity to get out of prison. Would you stand, please, and we'll pray together. Thank you, Lord, that you have set the prisoners free, and you want to set any prisoners here free this morning. So, Lord, we ask that you would do a miracle and give them the grace to surrender to you. Christians, please pray. So I wonder if there's somebody here this morning. Maybe you're visiting. Maybe you've been here before. But you've never given God permission to take your life. You've never asked him to forgive your sins. Or, or maybe you did in the past, and you got sidetracked along the way. And you're in a prison right now. Drugs, alcohol, pornography, gambling. There's so many prisons available physically, emotionally, mentally. This moment is for you if you're in that condition. Because God is here, and he's ready, anxious to forgive. All you must do is surrender to him. If you'd like to know that your sins are forgiven, if you'd like to know that you're going to spend eternity with God, if you're ready to surrender yourself to him, would you let me know you're ready by looking up at me and raising your hand? I won't do anything to embarrass you. I'll just acknowledge it. God bless you. And you, young lady, 
back couple right in front of me. God bless you. On the aisle, God bless you. Back there, yes, God bless you. Behind the sound booth, two of you, God bless you. Anyone over here? Way, way back. On the aisle, God bless you. Smartest thing you've ever done. God bless you. This is the moment God's watching. If I miss your hand, in the very back, I see it. If I miss your hand, don't worry. God never misses a hand. He's been waiting. Those of you that raised your hands, would you please talk to God with this? We'll all do it together to make it easy. We're going to pray out loud and ask him to forgive our sins, which is a safe prayer for everyone in this room, right? And he'll hear from heaven, and he's going to change you right where you are. So everybody, please say, Lord Jesus, I surrender. I give you my life. Please forgive my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit so that I can serve you from this day forward. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Those of you that prayed that for the first time, we'd encourage you to go over to these double doors. Some of our elders are there. We'd love to give you Bible, pray for you. If you're sick and you need prayer, go there. Any reason. To the rest, we're going to sing one more song. If you can stay, please do. It'll be short. And if you need to go, God bless you. Let's sing. Then sings my soul. Now may the Lord bless you, and may he keep you, and may he make his face to shine upon you, and lift up his countenance upon you, and be gracious unto you. And may you be so filled with the gifts of the Spirit that it shows, and others look into your eyes and say, what's different about you? And you can tell them about Jesus. God bless you. Have a wonderful day.